0: All right, our scripture passage today is made up of three verses. The first one is Job 1 1. And the next two will be out of Psalm 147. Job 1 1 reads like this There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. The second reading is from the 147th Psalm, verses 10 and 11. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of the of men. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we come before you this afternoon, and we have to confess it is both with joy and sorrow. We are so glad for a fall to have gotten underway and for all of the activities of the church to return. And for that, we want to come to you and say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity um, to be together and to study your word in Sunday schools and in community groups and in prayer meetings. Father, we are so grateful for that. Father, there is this sorrow that lingers. We hoped that we would be beyond the impact of COVID in this fall. And Father, there are differing degrees of that sorrow, even frustration, even confusion, Father, even anger. And we bring that to you. Father, I know that there are families in this room who are simply one degree separated from people who have died. And who have been affected tremendously in this pandemic. Father, we know that you know. We cannot turn a page in Scripture where your people mourn and begin to think that you don't hear us. And so, Father, we are thankful that we do not have to pretend as we come before you today. Father, we ask with hearts that are as open as we possibly know how to open them, and we ask you open them even further. Father, would you please put an end to this pandemic globally? Father, we know now that there are hospitals filled with patients. Would you work Father, would you save? Would you intervene? Father, we praise you for the healthcare workers. Father, thank you for their diligence. Thank you for their commitment. Father, would you be with us even as we struggle to understand what you are doing in our own lives? Father, would you get a hold of our hearts? Would you remind us that you know and that you are at work? Father, the pain and the suffering of the world is beyond our ability to respond. Father, you know that we are not omniscient as you are, that we are not omnipresent as you are, that we are not omnipotent like you, but Father, even the limited suffering that we know freezes us. Father, I pray that we would be quick to come to you, and we would be quick to pray, and that you, Father, would open avenues for us to be engaged in the suffering that is around us. And that we would rest and celebrate in how You will prove Yourself to be faithful. Father, would You move in us that we, Your people, would cry out to You on behalf of the places where You have put us to live. And remember that You are the one who said that in their welfare, we will find our welfare. In their peace we will find our peace. Father, give us your heart for the communities where you have put us, where we, women and men, bearing your image, work and are called to proclaim the hope that we have. Father, we think about these women that you have sent off to college. We praise you for Louisa, and for Hannah, and for Avery, and this week we lift up Katie as she settles in. Father, we praise you for Marie, even as she heads out, that you would remind these women, that you would remind their moms and dads, that you know the plans that you have for them. Plans for their good, and for their prospering. Father, I pray that we would remember when we held them in our arms and we baptized them in Your name and we trusted in Your promises even now that that trust hurts. Father, I praise You that You have called us before You. Father, we say with the psalmist, what is man that You are mindful of him And the Son of Man, that you know Him. Father, we are humbled to come before your Word. And we praise you that you are God. And Father, I pray that both your transcendence and your eminence would fall upon this room now. And that the women and the men who are here who do not know you would know you. And the women and the men who are here who know You would cry out to You. And Father, for the women and the men who cry out to You because they know You would be passed over with peace that passes understanding because You are faithful to Your Word. Father, we need nothing less than to be in Your presence today. And we praise You that as we come to Your Word, we are overwhelmed with Your promises that You are with us. Lord Jesus, we praise You that You are the Great Shepherd. And Holy Spirit, we ask even now, would You raise Christ before our eyes that we would see Him and Him alone. And that as we gaze with awe and fear upon Him, that we women and men would be changed into his image with ever-increasing glory, and that by your power, Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have mercy. We come to this passage in Job, and we come to a new study for the fall. You know that I try not to bore you about rock climbing, but you need to understand something. There are two general ways to do it. One is with a rope that starts at the top and two ends come down so that you're tied and the other person takes up and when you fall, you hang there. And the other way is that you start with both ends on the ground and you begin to climb up and the risk is that there could be a great fall, but the reward is one that is intoxicating for some of us. (laughs) As we embark on this study, I feel as if I am one who is starting with the rope on the bottom. And if it weren't for Nathan to be doing this with me, I'm not sure that I would have the courage to start into this study of the fear of the Lord as this massive biblical theme. And we're going to use this story of Job as a man described in the text today as one who fears God and who turns away from evil as we study the impact of the fear of the Lord on our lives. But first we have to ask the question, what exactly is the fear of the Lord? When you hear that right away, do you start off and do you say, it seems incongruous with the very definition of love? Many of you know what it says in 1 John four, eighteen: There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Just this week we were studying in the Psalms 111 and we were reading it together and we read about the glorious works of the Lord and suddenly it came to that verse that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who practice it will have good understanding. And one of you looked at me and said, isn't it strange that you go from all of these great works of the Lord to suddenly intending to fear the Lord? What is happening? What is happening? Listen, as we get into Job, we're going to take our time. And our goal today is simply this. What is the fear of the Lord and why do we need it? This is part one of the fear of the Lord. Nathan will bring part two of the fear of the Lord next week. What is the fear of the Lord and how does it go from our heads to our hearts? This is the definition of the fear of the Lord that we're going to work with today, okay? The fear of the Lord is this. It is an awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads to obedience. Let me read it one more time. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this. It is an awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads to obedience. And we want to bring before you today three reasons why we should fear the Lord. The first one is this. The fear of the Lord is at least a foundational theme, if not the foundational theme, the key that unlocks the benefits of wisdom literature of which Job is a part of, along with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. The first reason is because it is a foundational theme, a key to unlocking the benefits of wisdom literature. But secondly, by the fear of the Lord, our faith is sustained through this life. Do you want your faith to be sustained in this life? Then you need to consider the fear of the Lord. And then finally, by the fear of the Lord, our hearts are softened and even drawn into the suffering of this world. We have one definition of the fear of the Lord and three reasons why it ought to be important to us, and that's what we're going to look at as we start today. The first thing that I want you to see is the reason why it's important. Wow, I've never seen this before. Sorry. We're going to take this definition of the fear of the Lord and this first reason of why it is important to us together. The first reason, again, is it's the key that unlocks the wisdom literature. And the reason that we're going to do this is because the phrase, the fear of the Lord, is primarily found in psalms and wisdom literature. The definition of the fear of the Lord, again... You'll know it by the end, I promise. An awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads to obedience. The fear of the Lord, in quotes, and similar phrases like it occur over 60 times throughout the Psalms and the wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. This wisdom literature is important stuff for you and me. Proverbs asks the question, what is the key to a good life? And it's bracketed in the very first chapter and the very last chapter about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 31 says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. The fear of the Lord is the bookends of the very book of Proverbs. But Proverbs is not the only wisdom literature that we have. We also have Ecclesiastes. And you want to have Ecclesiastes, trust me... ...because we read Proverbs... ...and life ought to work together like Lego blocks... ...but you and I both know life doesn't work together like Lego blocks. And both the author of Ecclesiastes and the preacher of Ecclesiastes... ...these two different individuals look at life and say... ...life doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Life is uncontrollable... The moment you reach out to grasp control, it slips through your hands like a vapor. And so the very end of Ecclesiastes declares in the 12th chapter, the end of the matter has come and all has been heard. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And then there's Job. You know enough about Job for me to just simply say to you, and then there's Job. The story of Job is not unlike the story of Genesis 2. That as you begin to read it, you hope that it goes in a different direction than it goes, but it always goes in the direction that you remember and that shocks you. Because the loss of control that we see in Ecclesiastes Goes to its utter end. And Job is confronted with God Himself. And from the beginning of Job, where He is declared a righteous man who fears the Lord and turns away from evil, not only from the writer of Job, but in the seventh verse, from the very lips of God. In chapter 28, you'll hear this fear of the Lord from Job's own lips. And then at the end again, you hear this call for the fear of the Lord. It is unsettling. But the fear of the Lord unlocks for us this wisdom literature. Listen to how it says in Psalm 147. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Do you know what the psalmist had just finished writing about in Psalm 147? He's just finished writing about the fact that God binds up the hearts of those who are brokenhearted. And then in the very next verse, he actually goes and he says, "...and God gives all the stars their names." How is that the same God that binds up the hearts of the brokenhearted and yet names the stars? As I heard said the other day, God and man are not two things. And I thought, wait, wait, not two things? Are they the same thing? But we are reminded in the fear of the Lord that God is not a thing like us. God is wholly other, both completely and set apart, other. C.S. Lewis writes In God, you come up against something which, in every respect, is immeasurably superior. To yourself. Listen to that one more time. In God, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Sometimes the weight of a truth is easiestly understood in the opposite, right? What would the opposite of a Lewis quote be? Well, with my broad social and cultural knowledge, I, of course, went immediately to Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. And I know that you did, too. And if you didn't wear those masks, I would see you smile and chuckle because you said that's exactly where I would have gone, Lieutenant Dan. And do you remember when Lieutenant Dan comes and finds Forrest on the shrimping boat? And Lieutenant Dan says, I'm going to be your first mate. And Lieutenant Dan had not yet fought with God. And so one night during the storm, Lieutenant Dan climbs the mast of Forrest Gump's ship. And in the middle of the storm, he fights with God. And in his audacity and in his hubris, he shakes his fist and he says, God, is that all you've got? And then the next line in Forrest Gump is... That night, Lieutenant Dan made peace with God. Let me assure you, that is not the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture that we come up against is a God who deserves our awe-filled orientation toward Him in all of life that would lead to our obedience. This definition comes from the wisdom literature. And it is the foundational theme that will unlock this precious gift for us this season. That's the first of three reasons why we're going to study the fear of the Lord. The second is this, that by the fear of the Lord, our faith, is sustained no matter the outcome of our life. Our faith is sustained by the fear of the Lord no matter the outcome of our life. Why is this? The reason this is true is that because undergirding the fear of the Lord is the reality that God's desired determination is to make Himself known. The reason that the fear of the Lord is what will sustain our faith is because undergirding the fear of the Lord is God's desired determination to make Himself known to you and to me. When Jeremiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, writes about the new covenant, the day that that God's people will be called from every nation and tongue and tribe and people and that those people will be given a new heart and a new spirit, guess what Isaiah then says about them? That God promises to put in that new heart the fear of the Lord so that... Purpose statement, always a great one. Underlined so that's when you read them in the Bible. So that we won't turn away from him. That our faith would be sustained. Do you know that the fear of the Lord is what you and I are called to practice because God desires that you know him and he is determined that you and I will know him. And so the fear of the Lord... Is that gift? It made me think of Moses at the bush in Exodus 2. I wanted to read just those couple of verses for you. It says this in 2:2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses, the one to whom God was determined and desirous to reveal himself, was drawn to the bush, even though he was filled with fear. An awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life. Nathan put me on to this biblical scholar this week, a woman by the name of Catherine Sondrager. And she writes this, of that moment. The wonder that draws Moses aside and opens his ears is not the seeming impossibility of a fire that is not fiery, nor a bush that is not God, being yet at once divine. The wonder is that the Lord God draws near and the creature does not die away. The fear of the Lord sustains our faith because God is desirous and determined to be known by you and me. As we study the book of Job through this lens of the fear of the Lord, you're going to hear Nathan and I talk about another biblical scholar, Eleanor Stump, who argues that Job gets exactly what he wants from God. Because Job, throughout his experience of knowing God, says, I had known you, but now I have seen you. What about you and me? What about you? Do you fear the Lord? Do you know the difference? The fear of the Lord is the difference between talking about God as He and talking to God as you. The fear of the Lord is the awe filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads us to obedience. Psalm 111 reminds us that the one who calls every star by name and who has formed the Pleiades is the same God who pleads with you and me to know him. In fact, he has promised to put the fear of the Lord in us. And there in Jeremiah says, I will rejoice. God says he will rejoice by doing this good thing to us putting the fear of the Lord in us. The second reason why we need the fear of the Lord is because by it our, hearts are sus- our faith is sustained. But finally, I want you to see that the reason that we need the fear of the Lord is that our hearts might be softened and even drawn into suffering. Listen, you know the gospel story. And as one theologian wrote this week, it is the gospel that defines for us properly the fear of the Lord. Something had to be done about human sin so that God's presence wouldn't destroy us. This awesome God. And make no mistake, the last move that you made on that video game that you never thought you could accomplish, kids, that's not really awesome. That trick that you did on your skateboard or your bicycle or that event that you completed, that's not awesome. This is a different scale of awesome. You get the concept of the word, but the magnitude is not even relatable. This awesome God became man. This God who names the stars by name, entered into our suffering. Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Did Jesus fear the Lord? He was a man. Did he fear the Lord? What what do you think? Did he fear the Lord? He feared the Lord perfectly. Where would you see that Jesus was filled with awe and was oriented toward God in all of life and it led him to obedience? What about the desert? What about when every temptation washed over him and he longed for food and was, and was dying of thirst, but when he was tempted to worship another with his orientation in an awesome way Toward God, he resisted and obeyed perfectly. Jesus practiced the fear of the Lord. Let me ask it another way Did people fear Jesus? What do you think about that? Jesus walks in the door right now, masked or unmasked. We won't go there. He walks in the door right now. Do you dive under the pew or do you run toward him? Did people fear Jesus? What about when Jesus came to Peter that morning and said, I know that you have fished all night long, but I want you to throw your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter said, okay, and he does it and he throws it over, and his nets nearly broke. And what did Peter say? Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What about when Jesus was on that boat another time with the other disciples traveling from one side of the sea to another and He had fallen asleep on the back? Mark tells us on a cushion. An amazing inclusion. And there we are told that when they thought they would die and they cried out to Jesus, Jesus said to the storm, Peace, be still. And everything went still, and then we are told that the disciples were afraid, that they feared him. But the one that hits me in the gut is the woman who bled for 12 years and suffered at the hands of many physicians. And she determined that she would go and she would touch Jesus. And in her boldness and determination, she goes and she touches Jesus and she is healed. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And it says of this woman who before was not noted to be fearful, that the woman came up to him with great fear and said, it was me. And Jesus called her daughter and said your faith has made you well Jesus the son of God the son of man the transcendent creator of all things who knows every star by name is also the one who knows you and me His eminence, He walked with us. He became flesh and blood just like the flesh and blood that you have. God, who has determined that we would know Him, knows us. He knows us. When you cry out to Him, you should hear Him say, I know. And if you want to know how I can say that to you, turn to Exodus 2. When God's people cried out to them, he heard them and he knew. Does the God of the universe know you? This is not a fake question. The only answer that scripture gives is yes. He knows you. All human beings are image bearers of God. We are like God. One of the things that I've been learning this summer is we are like God in an analogy. Not in kind, but but almost in, 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 in some representation, but of a completely other kind. But we are still like God. The psalmist writes it when he says that we, human beings created in his image, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you hear that? We are awesomely, we are allwe-filled, filledly and wonderfully made. That is derived from our creator. I was at a wedding yesterday. I performed this wedding for these two non-Christian Folks, they were friends of ours. They said, will you perform? Of course, I would love to perform your wedding. These are two human beings created in the image of God. And do you want to know what they did yesterday with their words? They created something that before they spoke their words did not exist. Isn't that amazing? They did that. They created the identity of husband and wife. They created marriage They will never not have been married. They will never not have that relationship. That was created. I watched that. How much more so we who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we image bearers who know what it means when we enter into another's suffering like Christ. We need the fear of the Lord because by it our hearts are softened. The God of the universe loves us. And they're even drawn out into entering into someone else's suffering. Not to save them like Jesus saves them. You and I are not saviors. But to proclaim Christ. To exalt him to them. The hymn writer John Owen wrote in amazing grace It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved The fear of the Lord is an awe-filled orientation toward God in all of life that leads to obedience Do you know God? Please, don't push that question aside. Answer it. Do you know that you are His pleasure and His delight? Do you know that? Do you practice the fear of the Lord? Again, how do I know? Do you refer to God as He? Or do you refer to God as you? Church, together we need to study this book of Job. I don't know if I've ever been more convinced of what we need to study than our need to study this. I want to give you a practical example in closing. Are you orienting your response to COVID according to the fear of the Lord? There's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? There's where it is, isn't it? Just this morning, I was with one of you. And through tears you said to me, I can't tell you how I longed that this fall would start without this weight on us. I longed for it. But it must be the case that God is not done with us yet here. Do you have that hope because of the fear of the Lord. We come to this table. This table, can you wrap your head around it, is set for you by the God who calls every star by name, who lives in the high and the holy places, but also with those who are broken and contrite of heart. Is that you? You have a meal. And God is the cook. Let's pray.